Today's podcast provides the second and final installment of the greatest story ever told. The story of Jesus is a story of life, love, compassion, and sacrifice, but also of evil, betrayal, and treachery. Glenn Colley continues the story to cover the burial of Jesus, his resurrection from the dead, the disciples finding the empty tomb, Jesus' ascension into heaven, and the establishment of the church on the day of Pentecost. Jesus was executed on Friday. He died about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Joseph of Arimathea and a man named Nicodemus, good men, men who really loved Jesus, went to Pilate to beg for the body. Just, just let us give him a, a proper burial. Well, Pilate checked and made sure that Jesus really was dead. And after that, you know what? He was tired of this whole thing. Just, just, just go and that's fine. Go and, and do that. Well, the enemies of Jesus, had, they had an idea too. They came to Pilate and said, now wait a minute, Pilate. Now, now, now this tomb business, we, what we're afraid is going to happen. Now, you know what that deceiver said? That deceiver named Jesus said that he was going to rise from the dead the third day. We can't just leave the tomb. The disciples of Jesus will come and they'll steal the body away and then they're going to perpetuate this hoax that Jesus has risen from the dead. You've got to let us put a guard at that tomb. Pilate Pilate said, "Just, just, just do it. It was early Sunday morning. And when I say early, I, I mean it was before dawn. And Mary, who was from Magdala, came to the tomb and she just can't stay away. It's, it's Jesus and she, she loves Him so much and she's there. Well, there are the guards, there's Mary, and there's an earthquake that shakes the rocks. I mean, this is significant. And, and it dislodges the stone, the large stone that is closing the mouth of the tomb. It rolls it back. And, and at that time, there's an angel a being on on the he's sitting on the rock, and and the, these these soldiers, the toughest nails soldiers, they're so they are so afraid they tremble and they just they faint they they pass out, but but not Mary and and there may have been other women with her but they're not afraid, and and the angel speaks to to Mary, don't be afraid, I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for He's risen, just as He said. Now, come, come and see the place where the Lord was laying. And, and they did. And, and, then he, and then He said, Go quickly and tell His disciples that He's risen from the dead. And He's going before you into Galilee, and you can see Him there. You can meet Him in Galilee. Now, the Jewish soldiers run back to the Jewish leaders. And they're, they're so excited about what they've seen and agitated and what are we going to do now? He's risen from... We're telling you we watched the stone go back and there was this... He's not human. He was an angel on the stone. It really happened. I'm telling you that this Jesus is from God. That's the kind of speech they made. Well, the Jewish leaders can't have this. And they said, look, look, you're not going to tell that story to anybody else. Now look, here's some money. And they, they paid him. What you tell is that the body's not there, but the disciples came and they stole the body, took it away, and, and if, if anybody asks you, that's the story. We'll, I tell you what, if, if the, the governor wants to know, we'll cover your back. All right, so that's the story and we're, and we're going to st- stick to it. 
Jesus goes to Galilee and he meets with his apostles, his closest followers. And they're, they're uneasy when they see him. I mean, he'd been crucified. He, he was dead. And, and so you can understand that, that they were ill at ease. And so he gives them what we call empirical evidence. That means he showed them. He said, don't be afraid. Come here. Look at the, look at the holes in my hands and, and look at my feet and look at my side. And I want you to see that it really is me. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not just a ghost. It really is me. You know, a ghost doesn't have flesh and blood like you see me have. Luke 24, verse 46, the Bible says that Jesus said to him, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for, for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and forgiveness, remission of sins, should be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. He said, and you're witnesses of these things. He was telling them that they were important because they were going to offer testimony that this was true. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But now, I want you to wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, that's the end of the book of Luke. In the New Testament, you start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of these describe the life of Jesus and end with the death of Jesus. The next book is Acts. Acts is the history book of the early church. Luke ends where Acts begins. And so we get to Acts chapter 1. The, the book of Acts chapter 1 is going to show Jesus with His disciples in Beth, Bethany. And He talks with them. It's been 40 days. 40 days since His crucifixion, since He rose from the dead. 40 days. Now, in fact, He's going to show Himself to many people in that time. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 6 says that, that at one day He showed Himself to 500 people. That is to say that lots of people saw Him dead and then they saw Him alive again. But now in Acts chapter 1, He's only with His disciples. And after talking with them for a moment, He ascends back to the Father. Now verse 4 of that chapter says, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but, but you wait here and you're going to have power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now they watched Him and He just ascended back into the clouds. An angel was there and said, Why are you looking up? Don't you know that this same Jesus who has gone up into heaven as you've watched Him, one day He's going to return again. He's going to come back again. What's most impressive about this whole account is not that Jesus was crucified. I, I mean by that, that's important, but, but lots of people were crucified. It was the resurrection. It was that that Jesus was crucified and He rose from the dead. Now, let me make a distinction for you. Jesus was not a martyr. And a martyr is someone who has a cause and he knows that in the, the course of that cause or the defense of that cause, he could be killed. A martyr is someone who is killed unintentionally while pursuing a cause. 
that, that doesn't describe Jesus. See, in reference to Jesus, the, the crucifixion, the death, was the only way to accomplish the purpose. You see, you see, God's justice had to be satisfied, and mankind was lost in sin. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, All have sinned and, and come short of the glory of God. The crucifixion of Jesus was no accident. It was, it was deliberate. I, I would ask you this question. Who do you think delivered up Jesus to be crucified? And you may be surprised that the answer is in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. It says that God spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up to be crucified. He delivered Him up for us. He was crucified because God sent Him into the world for this very purpose. Remember, remember that Jesus didn't have to do this. And you, you remember back in the Garden of Gethsemane when Peter cut the ear off of Malchus and, and Jesus stopped him and said, Don't you know that I could call twelve legions of angels? In other words, Jesus was no martyr. Jesus knew what He was doing. Jesus brought about the crucifixion. Now, now back to the history lesson. We get to Acts chapter 2. This is Pentecost. Now, this is the second major Jewish feast. The first one was Passover. Jesus was crucified during the Passover feast. Pentecost, and, 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 and pente means 50, and Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover feast. So you're going to have tons of Jews come back to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Jesus stayed on earth with His disciples and with others for 40 days after He was resurrected. That leaves 10 days. All right, so he was resurrected. 10 days later, you have the beginning of Pentecost. Now, here's, here's Jerusalem again, filled with people. It's time for this annual feast called Pentecost. The apostles came to the feast ready to preach the truth of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. The moment was filled with the miraculous, supernatural. Peter, the main spokesman for, for the group, he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, in the Old Testament of the Bible, in Joel chapter 2, one of the prophets had prophesied that this day would be energized with the miracles of the Holy Spirit of God. The people gathered at Pentecost that year numbered in the thousands, and they spoke a lot of different languages. But, but that was no problem because Peter and the other apostles of Jesus began to preach and they were given the supernatural ability to speak in those languages and dialects clearly. It was a remarkable thing. And some people mocked them. Some people said, they're drunk, don't listen to them. But others were amazed at the obvious miracle of the language and they wanted to listen. Peter, who, uh, who at one time was very afraid, was no longer afraid. He was ready. And he preached three major things. Now, I'm going to show these to you, but I want you to know that what's about to happen is that thousands of people are about to become followers of Jesus Christ. We're in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, and here's what it says. Peter speaking, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Now, I'm fascinated by this. 
because what Peter is saying here is that the miracles of Jesus prove Him to be who He said He was. But, but Peter didn't just stop there, and this is what you must get, is that Peter is talking to all of these Jews and says, He performed these miracles in front of you. He did it in your midst. And then he, I mean, he just really turned the screw on this one and he said, and you know it's true. You, you know it's true. What if it wasn't? I mean, I mean suppose, suppose it hadn't been true. Suppose he asserted this and it wasn't true. How do you think that the audience would have responded at that point? And the answer is that they, they would have waved him off. They would have walked away, but they didn't walk away. I wasn't there and you weren't there, but those people were. And and their reaction to this assertion testifies to the fact that Jesus really had performed these miracles. Now, what was the purpose of the miracles of Jesus? You say, well, He was compassionate. It was about, about compassion. In John chapter 11, for example, He raised Lazarus from the dead. And I, I, I'm telling you that Jesus was compassionate. But I want you to know that the miracles of Jesus weren't just about compassion. I mean, Jesus didn't raise all people's loved ones, did he? he? He healed people who were sick, but he didn't heal everybody who was sick. What was the purpose of the miracles? The clearest statement in the Bible, I believe, about the purpose of the miracles of Jesus and His apostles is in John chapter 3. This is, this is Nicodemus. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and Nicodemus is responding. He says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do, do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him." So, so, Nicodemus, how do you know Jesus is a teacher come from God? And Nicodemus would say, because nobody can do these things except God has sent him. Now there you have it. The miracles of Jesus demonstrated the deity of the Lord and the truthfulness of His teaching. Take another passage. Here's Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, in other words, Jesus preached this first, watch this now, and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him, God also bearing witness. Here's how God got involved in it, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. What did He do? God bore them witness. How did He do it? With those miraculous gifts. Why did He do it? To confirm that what they were teaching and preaching about Jesus really was true. Now look, if, if somebody came to, to your city today and, they, and said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Redeemer, and I speak for God, would you listen to Him? Probably not. But on the other hand, if that same person went to the community cemetery, what if He took you to your city cemetery? and you got some shovels and he opened a grave, he lifted the top of the, of the container, there was the lifeless, decayed body, and he said, come forth. I'm telling you, if that body comes forth, if that body takes on life, I'm going to listen to that man. I would rethink my position. When Jesus came, he didn't just come making claims, not just giving some pretension. Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He, he even said to the wind and to the waves, Peace be still. And that storm was calmed. 
Now, that's why Nicodemus, an unbeliever, was able to say, we know that you're a teacher come from God. So when Peter stands up here in Acts chapter 2, he says, Jesus performed miracles. And you know it's true. He did it among you. You saw them. You know it's true. Here was his second point. He says, and I'm in Acts chapter 2 verse 25, David the prophet spoke concerning him. Now we would say that David showed that Jesus was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Peter's audience was made up of Jews. Now they held that the Old Testament prophets, and especially David, were all true. So far as we can tell, David prophesied about a thousand years before the coming of Jesus. And in David, uh, Peter says here, speaks concerning Jesus. I'm, I'm going to read now from Acts chapter 2, verse 25. For David says concerning him, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. What does it mean? You won't leave my soul in Hades means I won't stay or remain in the state of the dead. That Hades is the realm of departed spirits. You won't leave my soul in that realm and you won't allow my body to see corruption. What that means is decay. The body would be buried, but it wouldn't see corruption or decay. Now, now the Jews thought that, that when this was quoted from David the prophet, that, that David was talking about himself. But watch what Peter does. Now verse 29 of Acts 2. Men and brethren, let me speak freely unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, buried and his sepulcher, is with us unto this day. I, I tell you that what he's saying is if you go over there to the sepulcher where David is buried and you dig it up, what you're going to find is the dust of David. David was buried there and his body did see decay. His dust is still in there and we know that. David wasn't talking about himself. You want to know who David was talking about as a prophet? Whose, whose body would not be left in the grave and that his soul wouldn't be left in Hades. He was talking about Jesus. So, Peter is standing at Pentecost. Now bear in mind that Jesus has been killed less than two months prior. This is, this is fresh. This has just happened. And now you have this huge Jewish feast called Pentecost and you have thousands of people listening to Peter and the other apostles preach. And Peter says, number one, you know that Jesus performed miracles because He did them in front of you and you saw them. Number two, you love the prophet David. I know that you respect David. David prophesied of Jesus. He prophesied about the resurrection. Now, here's the most notable argument of the deity of Jesus of all history. He's proven to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. Now verse 23, Peter said, Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, God knew this was going to happen. It was God's purpose. By the, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, you've crucified and put Him to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Now verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. <laughs> the, 
the resurrection, and you got to remember that it, it has happened less than 60 days before. It's, it's not like looking back into history and saying, let me tell you, Adolf Hitler, after he died, while well, he was raised again and showed himself to... It, it's not like George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or, or some famous person from the deep, dark, distant past was uh, dead, and then he rose and showed himself. Peter wasn't talking about something which happened a hundred years before or 500 years before. He was talking about something that, that had just happened less than two months ago. He was calling on the memory of the people who were, were still living. And he said he was resurrected from the dead and people are here who saw him. Now, the Apostle Paul said much the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3. He said, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. Some have died. In other words, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe that Jesus really did die and rise from the dead, then these people are here with the opportunity to contradict me. Peter is saying he was raised from the dead and we're witnesses of this. There were others there who saw him. There were those who were present on that day who saw him and knew that he was raised from the dead. It's one of the, one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection that I can imagine. They had witnessed it. They were there. Now listen, I wasn't there. That happened 2,000 years ago. This testimony of people who were on the ground is huge. I, I, I can just see some in Peter's audience looking at one another and bobbing their heads up and down and saying, yeah, you know, he's right. We, we saw Jesus alive with our own eyes after He had died. Maybe somebody said, I saw Him in front of Joseph's house or, or I saw Him in the marketplace. He was clearly alive. Thus, in this amazing sermon, Peter at Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, after the, the crucifixion of Jesus, here Peter upholds the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as testimony that Jesus really is the Son of God. The resurrection is of tremendous importance to your life. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 says that it's the resurrection that proves Jesus to be the Son of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Peter later would write that our hope of heaven, of going to heaven when we die, is tied to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The offer of forgiveness that was facilitated, that was given to us by the death of our Savior is substantiated by the fact that he could, he could conquer death. He was resurrected. When Peter got down to the climax of his sermon in verse 36, he says this, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. The next verse says, when they heard this, we're talking about these people who have just heard this testimony that Jesus performed miracles and, and Peter challenges them, you know it's true and Jesus was resurrected from the dead, you know it's true and many of you saw Him. When these people heard this, the Bible says they were pricked in their hearts, they were they were broken by the truthfulness of it. And they said, 
They said, men and brethren, what, what shall we do? They, they were scared of God. Now I want you to think about something. You've just got to get a hold of this. If, if what Peter was saying had been wrong, had not been true, if they had not seen the miracles, if they had not seen Jesus resurrected from the dead, I mean, they, they, this is not a friendly audience. This is the audience that barely 60 days later had been involved in saying, crucify Him, crucify Him, take Him away. But now, now they're looking the facts square in the eye and they're saying, yep, we, uh, we did see Jesus. Mm. We did see Him race, uh, raised from the dead. We did see the miracles that He performed. These were, the, these were the greatest skeptics in the whole world. But after Peter brings these matters to their attention, they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And here's the answer. Peter said in verse 38 of Acts 2, Then repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and it's unto your children, it's unto all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. It means immersed in water. In the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What a remarkable acknowledgement that this is all real. It's not a fable. It's not a yarn. People who lived during the events themselves are so moved that 3,000 of them can't wait to be baptized into Christ to have their sins forgiven because they want to go to heaven. And they know that Jesus is the only way that that can happen. Now, this is applicable to you and me. Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He wants you to obey and follow Him. Verse 47 of Acts 2 says that those new Christians were praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They were added to the church. Who added them? The Lord did. When? When they repented and were baptized in water. What church was that? Well. I mean, you know, so many different religions today, so many different churches. Well, just go up and ask one of them. Go and use your imagination and go up and ask one of the people who, he's standing there and he's dripping with the waters of baptism and just ask him, I understand that you were baptized. Yes, I was. Why were you baptized? Because I know that Jesus is the Son of God. I know because of the miracles. I know because of the resurrection from the dead. And so I've listened to this preaching. I want forgiveness. And Jesus is the only way, so I was baptized. Good, you say. Well, I understand you've been added to the church. He would say yes. What church is that? How do you suppose, um, how do you suppose he would respond to that? You know, um, the fact is he doesn't, he doesn't know what you're talking about. He only knows about one church. The New Testament says nothing about any denomination. It just speaks about the church. In Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus said, On this rock I will build my church. And the people in Acts 2 who were baptized to have their sins washed away, the Bible says they were added to the church. What church is that? It's the church 
of Jesus who is the Christ. Ephesians 5 and verse 25 is one of my favorites. It, it talks to husbands, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. You see, it's like His bride. He loves it. Also loved the church and gave Himself for it. The people who are added to the church are the people who have obtained forgiveness for their sins by the blood of Jesus. John chapter 3 and verse 16 has been called by many the golden text of the Bible, and I believe that's true. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life.